Uh, I think um, uh, this is the second talk that we have. Uh, I, today we're supposed to have a few more uh, coaches than last, uh, last week. And I'm going to try to do another one, if you guys want, next Wednesday. So we can make them maybe a Wednesday thing, you know. So we have a schedule. Uh, and I'm sorry for people because some people, the emails have been bouncing back and I've been trying to copy the emails from one place to another. And, you know, with my eyesight, maybe I make many mistakes, so I apologize for that. So I'm going to try to keep uh, including people. Right now we should have for this chat around 120 coaches that have asked to join. So right now we have 51, I think. But we just had a, a chat with um, Spanish coaches and we had 170 coaches. Uh, that we spoke for two hours. That was pretty good. And last night, time here at 10 p.m., I had another chat with Southeast Asia, with Singapore, Malaysia, uh, some Australian people, and we had uh, close to 100 people. So it was pretty good. So I, 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 like, I like that we're getting together and chatting. This is for the new ones. This is not about me talking about swimming. It's about all of us sharing thoughts. I, I, I just can give some guidelines. I can answer any questions. I'll be more than happy to share what I do, what I don't do, or what I think or I, I believe. But I think the important thing during these times is for all of us to really connect and share things, you know, and, and the way you do something, the way you coach, the way you talk to kids, the way you think about the season, because I think that's the best way uh, to evolve. I know I said it this last time. I said this, that, Many times when you go to the, the ASCA clinic or some clinic, the more you learn is when you have a couple of beers with the people at the bar. Or, you know, and uh, I think this is not a bar, but I think this, is, this should be like kind of a relaxed uh, environment where we can chat about whatever. There's nothing right or wrong, and I will, I will hope, I'm asking that everybody respects everybody's opinion uh, because there's a thousand ways to get to the same place. You know, there's a thousand ways to coach. There's a thousand ways to, you know, to do anything. So, and every, every way is good as long as you respect people and respect yourself. So that's, that's a very important thing. So I think the, the first thing that maybe I should, the first subject that maybe we can talk is about, uh, this is more for now, it's for the female coaches, but uh, now probably some of the male coaches are affected because you might have your spouse or your girlfriend is working as a nurse, as a doctor. So you probably have, if you have children, you have to stay home while your spouse is working. And one of the coaches, uh, Svelana, asked if, if, you know, if somebody could say, you know, could talk about the experience of doing these times, how to manage keeping track to the athletes and raising two kids at home, you know? Because I bet, I bet it's pretty difficult, you know, having to take care of the kids, keep them engaged with things. and if your spouse is or your companion is outside working and you're the only one at home and you have a group of teenagers that you have to do things online and you have a four-year-old and uh, a 10-month-old, how, how do you guys manage that? Does anybody have an idea, a thought? Yeah, I have a two-year-old daughter and another daughter on the way. And I mean, I found it much easier because my wife works and my daughter actually came in and did or I mean, to her ability, we did a virtual dryland session an hour ago and she hung out with me the whole time. She was my weight. She was my resistance for the day. Um, 
and you know, I, I think it actually helped helps a ton as far as the athletes are concerned to make it very relational. Um, it kind of gives the, those athletes that peek behind the curtain almost where they feel, they feel like you aren't just a coach, you're a person too, um, which helps lend a little bit more grace. If you come down hard on an athlete once or twice, they're going to recognize, okay, coach Paul's coming from a good place. It's not, it's not angry. He doesn't hate me. That's my two cents there. I really believe what you said, Paul, is great because I know we, when, once we have children, you know, if we decide to have kids, our perspective in life changes a lot, you know, in the way we treat people and the way we want things. So that's a great point. You know. Any of the female coaches that have children want to share or any other coaches want to share their thoughts? Nobody? You know, oh, that's great. You know, Jimmy, I see you there. Carla's trying to speak, but I think she's trying to unmute herself. Okay. Hey, Sergio. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jimmy. How are you? I'm doing terrific. Thanks. Good. Awesome. Great to have you. Hi. Thank you. Yeah, I'll give you my five cents, but this is not with children. I think I mentioned this before. I think probably the hardest part is going to be not getting a divorce after spending so many days with your spouse at home, you know. Now we've been uh, we've been quarantined until June thirtieth here in Virginia, so <laughs> that's a pretty long time. That's that's my spouse. That's my wife walking it. So, um, but yeah, what what is the subject that anyone anybody wants to start this conversation with? Come on, I don't need to be the one talking, and I don't want to be. I, I'll share whatever, but this is your show, guys. Who wants to set put a topic out there in chat? Um, me, um, how do you sell? How do you sell to your swimmers your everyday practice? I mean, uh, how do you make them, like you said, honest to themselves? I have my way of doing it, but I would like to hear what everybody else does, you know, to sell their practice to their swimmers and to make them accountable for what they did during the day. Well, I'll, I'll start. Um, I think. I think it is about how you treat people and what it is that you believe, you know. I think when the kids see you, that you want to take care of them as people, not just as, as a means for you to be a better coach and to have a higher social status. And you, you can relate with them as a person. I think they'll be, they'll be more, more prone. They will be more prone to, to challenge your practices every day. They'll be excited about doing what you ask them to do. And if you're capable too of some days, you know, one of my, one of my coaches, Joseph Nagy, he was very hard. I don't know if he's listening to this, but he will, he will joke around, no, no, I was not hard, but he was really hard. But he had the ability of like, if I couldn't do a practice, then anybody who has coached me or watched me train, I could do pretty much any practice. But if someday I couldn't do something, he would walk away from it. And he will make sure that the next day I, I recover from it. And he will never push me to that, to the point that, you know, and I have to trust that. You know, some days I didn't want to do something, but he had the ability to know that he had to push me in order for me to break that wall and that I was going to be okay. But other days he had to walk away. And that's something that if you do that in a day a day and you deal with them and, you know, uh, they will appreciate and then they will buy into what you want to do. 
Um, I think one way I've, I've challenged the athletes is by making sure that they have a purpose for each practice. Um, that when they come in, they know that they're going to leave practice uh, potentially doing something in practice that they've never done before. Uh, whether it's a challenging butterfly set or, uh, you know, 10 200s freestyle on a big interval with five dolphin kicks off the walls, whatever it is, um, we try to make sure that they have a purpose and that there's something that they got better at that day and that they can get out of the water and say, yeah, I accomplished that set or I did more this time than we did when we did that set last week. I think I agree with John on a lot of that just because it's like, I don't believe it's so much what I say to the athlete during the set that makes the difference. It's what you say as they finish the set or they're getting out about what they did so well. Like they could have had a terrible practice. They weren't hitting paces or they were missing stroke counts, but you tell them what they did well and get them fired up about that. They come back the next day and they're more willing to work hard because they feel like they achieved something. They don't feel like they're just, you know, digging themselves deeper and deeper each day. Awesome. Yeah, I'm going to jump on that too. Um, something that I always tell my guys, and I work, um, I work with mostly boys, so I don't know how well this uh, this relates to you, but I always remind my, I always get my boys extremely competitive with each other. Um, and something that you can try to do with your younger kids is you can also try to do extrinsic rewards. For them, um, like for example, when I when I uh, when I was working with with ten and unders, I would do swimmer of the month with them, and I would I I would do attendance awards. So basically, give them give each kid a ranking one through five of how well that day. One point for showing up, one point for finishing practice, and then give them a rating of one through three for how well they did throughout that day, throughout that practice, and then whoever got the most amount of points at the end. Um, they they would win a cap that said swimmer of the month and kids eat that stuff up kids you know doing stuff like that or you know with my older guys I always tell them that if they hit it really hard this week we're gonna do something really fun on Friday like a fun relay or something like that and this is you know those are high schoolers that I'm working with too as well as a couple of my college age guys that I work with so you know so any anything that you can do to make it fun um, on top of having them work hard you kind of trick them essentially into working hard as well. Awesome. Jimmy, you were going to say something? Yeah, I think um, to me it comes down to two things. It's trust and respect. And, um, you know, I think you sort of build that over time, of course. But um, I think if your athletes trust you and respect you, and, and I think that is developed as much outside the pool as in practice time, um, by how much you care for them and you are concerned about their life outside the pool, um, which I think is huge. Um, I swam for a guy named Denny Persley, who some of you know that just retired at Alabama. And uh, he once told me that he felt like he had to be as committed, if not more than the most committed athlete in his program. And, um, I swam for him for a number of years and there was never a doubt in my mind that he was at that level in terms of commitment for us and um, wanted to see us, you know, be extremely successful. So that was in the era of, you know, 10,000 meter practices, sometimes twice a day kind of thing. And, um, but he had developed such a, um, 
a bond with us that we would do almost whatever he asked, you know, the old run through a brick wall or jump off a bridge. If he said so, um, that was how it was for us. And um, again, I think that was just the relationship um, between the coach and the athlete. That's the most significant thing um, in order to get you to push your athletes and, and, you know, continue to challenge them more and more. Awesome. Thanks. Uh, something. Go ahead. Uh, I don't, uh, yeah, I don't, following on from what James said, I don't think you can ever underestimate the power of relationship with your, uh, with your athletes or the children or teenagers. I think just following up, if you know they've had a problem at school or something like that, you really need to follow up the next day and say also be, be an advocate for them. So if you, if you know they're having a bit of trouble, back them in there. And one thing that's worked well, and I know a lot of people can't do it, but if they have a big game or they play another sport or they're a musician or something like that, go along to their concerts and then they see that you're, you're buying in and are interested in everything that they do and and. Also, if the parents see you there supporting them in another capacity, like at a music concert, um, yeah, I really like to do that. That's something that I do. Thanks, Susan. Anybody else? Uh, I think adding on top of what uh, Susan was just saying was um, I always try to find some at least one thing about each athlete uh, that's non-swimming related that I can talk to them about just in a short general conversation, you know, Hey, I heard you, you know, you like to read Harry Potter books. Uh, you know, what'd you think of the latest one? Or, you know, do you think any more are coming out? Um, you know, some other kid really likes to go bike riding or whatever it is, but as long as I can have one thing that's non swimming related that I can relate to the kid uh, or the athlete, I think that helps create that trust and that connection with them. And when you bring it up or, you know, like she said, if they have a concert or something and, you know, even if you don't go, but at least the next day you can ask about how was the concert and get details from it. Um, I think that helps a lot. Awesome. Thanks. I, I think let's talk to the, uh, Adrian uh, has asked in the chat room that uh, how do you challenge yourselves to get better at coaching? He's not sure of how, you have lots of experience already. Uh, no, he said, I'm sure that most of you have a lot of experience already on and off deck. He's a young coach. Uh, John, you want to explain to him what you wrote or, or somebody wants to talk about what you guys do? Uh, sure. Um, one of the things in, um, and I'm reading this, excellent book, which any coach should read by Wade Gilbert. Um, uh, what is it? Uh, I just posted on Instagram, but it's basically a full year of coaching and it talks about the preseason, how to coach during the season, postseason, and then, you know, just kind of using the off season to regenerate. Not that swimming really does have one, but I think anytime you can get feedback from somebody else about your actions, um, a coach that coaches next to you, you know, three lanes over every single day. Hey, what do you think about my coaching? What, 
what is something that you feel I don't do very well or I do very well? Because we don't always realize we either underestimate or we overestimate what we're doing and how we're reacting to the kids. The second thing you can do is, is a short survey uh, from the athletes themselves. Did you feel like you learned something this year? What do you think we need to work on going into next season? How was, you know, how were my actions on the pool deck? Was I positive as a coach? Was I negative as a coach? It can be a, a survey that's pretty short. Um, but these types, this type of feedback is something that um, is crucial, to, I think, to um, self-evaluation and becoming a better coach. Awesome. I think, um, I think in, in many of the big clubs, or like for me right now in, at the university, we have at the end of the year evaluations by our superiors, you know, and I have to do evaluations with the coaches. And, you know, I set up a different uh, battery of questions and you try to find the weaknesses and the good things and the not so good things. And so people can have an idea and you talk a lot. You know, you meet with the coaches and you talk about, okay, uh, they fill up this form and then we can talk about you've done this well, why you've done this not so well, what can you do to be better, you know? And I think, I think it, that could be a way of learning. And what, it's very similar to what John is saying, you know? And that's, at least at the university level, we have that as a, a way of like gain a race or not gain a race or, you know, evaluating if, if you're doing a good job. No. but it's important. I think I think self self reflection should be every day. You know, every day you should take ten minutes, and you know after the, you, after you're done practicing and find a quiet place and take five ten minutes and really think about what I did wrong today, what I did good, what I can do better. You know how practice went and be ready for the next day. It's ten minutes a day. It's huge, and it's not you know. It, you know, adds up to a lot of things and it doesn't really take much time. For me, I live like 30 minutes away. You know, I live in this small town, 30 minutes away from, from the pool. And when I get, get out of the pool, I go into the car. I used to listen to music. I, I don't listen to music anymore. Most of the time, I just go quietly on the drive and I just think about what I've done during the day and how I can be better. And I think self-criticism is pretty good, you know. Uh, if you're honest with yourself, you know, we, we have a hard time telling ourselves that we're doing something wrong, you know, because it, it hurts our, our ego and we don't want to change it. But I think it's important. Um, Sergio, I'll, I'll jump in on that real quick um, and uh, just say that, especially what John said and then what you said, there's a lot of research that backs up both a reflective practice, which is what you talked about, and then creating a community of peers, which is what John talked about. And those are two really important pillars for coaches to use to improve. I, I think the self-reflection part is massive. Um, more coaches need to do that. They need to evaluate what went well and what didn't go the way I intended it to go and create that loop where they can learn for themselves. And then, um, the, the community of peers is developing a network of people that can give you honest, honest assessments about what you're doing. And the third part that, that he talked about was doing surveys at the end of the season. Um, a lot of coaches are, are afraid to hear that kind of negative feedback, but it is so valuable. All that, when you get negative feedback, there's always truth in it. Um, 
even if it's not what you want to hear. And if you can separate your ego from that feedback, you can gain so much information and make so much progress as a coach. Thanks, Tyson. Uh, I'm going to piggyback a little bit on what Tyson said in the sense of like the ego part, you know. We are coaches because we have a big ego and I don't care who says otherwise, you know. We like to, we like people tapping us in the back and telling us that we're good and, and you know, oh, Sergio, you want this thing. Oh, you're so good. Blah, 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 blah. But an ego is not a bad thing. But there's a thin line between having a good ego and having a bad ego. You know, and I think having a good ego is important. And being able to take criticism is a great thing. You know? I know, for example, uh, my wife, I've been with my wife for 30 years. And uh, my wife is the person that she always asks me things, you know, uh, how practice was a data that She has no clue about swimming, even though she's been with me for 30 plus years. And, uh, and many times I get upset with her. Ah, leave me alone. I shouldn't be doing this. What the heck do you know? I still do that. But then I walk away for five minutes and I realized that she was right, that I was being an ass or that I didn't want to change something and that I really have to change if I want to be a better coach. You know? It doesn't have to be your wife, but it could be your best friend. It could be somebody. And, and we all have to have somebody that we can bounce things and they can tell us honestly that we screwed up and we need to change. You know? And we have to accept that. You know? I think I mentioned this the other time. You know, when my wife was pregnant of the first kid, uh, she was very nervous. She was crying one day, and she, I asked her, like, what's going on? And she's like, well, you know, uh, this thing is going to pop out. Our daughter is going to come out, and we would have no experience, and blah, blah, blah. And she was reading all these books. These books are how to raise kids, how to do this, how to do that. So I told her, I was like, look, stop reading books, right? Because probably the person that wrote that book is more dysfunctional than you and me together, right? And has some good points in that book. But the honest truth is that you have had many issues in your life and you have some sort of dysfunctionality. I'm totally screwed up. Uh, you know, I have, I'm so dysfunctional. And, and our kids are going to be dysfunctional. And the only thing that we can do is be honest with our kids. You know, we, we work, we talk, we execute something, tell them to, you know, we try to raise them. We're going to make a mistake. And when we recognize that mistake, we correct it. Maybe our kids will hate us until, or won't like us until they're 18 or 19. But once they get out of the house and they on their lives, one day they're going to have a beer. They're going to be having a beer or a cup of coffee somewhere. They're going to be like, well, you know, my mom and dad were pretty good. And that's what we got to do. Just be honest. Be honest. Correct your mistakes with no fear. If I could jump in and throw one uh, thought out there on the question of how to, how to challenge yourself, I think one of the things that coaches don't do that we expect our athletes to do is to make goals. And uh, I, I think I've gotten stuck in the rut where I'm just trying to do a great job coaching, but the reality is, is what do I define as a great job of coaching? Does that mean I'm happy? Does that mean the kids are happy? Does that mean championships? And I think sometimes if there's a clear definition of what you're fighting for, working towards, uh, with your team, with whatever squad you've got at that time, uh, it'll help encourage anyone to recognize whether or not they're falling short of their goals or if they're nailing them. Uh, and then also recognizing where you're, um, where you might be falling short. So if I know I need to win a short course championship and I'm fighting for it with, you know, this squad, I know I need to maybe be reaching out to some, some people and find out how to do underwaters better. 
so I, I think just having individual goals as a coach is just as important as having um, the athletes have their goals because when you've got your own goals and you're trying to define who you are or what your future, what you, what future you'd like to have, it's a little, uh, it's a little easier to know if you're on track or off track. Thanks, David. Uh, I'd like to add one more thing if I can real quick. Um, probably one of the most underlying important things that I think a lot of people forget about is having your core values and your philosophy. Um, that is so important in coaching. It does change over time. Absolutely. But that really does set the foundation for you to be able to reflect upon and to help your coaches reflect upon, you know, what you've done. Um, but without the core values and the philosophy, you know, you don't always know if you're, if you're holding true to it or not. I think just um, picking up on that last point as well from David, something that sticks out for me when we talk about setting ourselves goals is also periodizing our year as coaches. So actually, what does our year look like in terms of development, in terms of going out and visiting programs, in terms of reading books? And do we actually build a development plan in that's as well periodized as our plans are for our athletes? And if we do, we'll find that we get to the end of the year and accomplished a lot more. And I think that's something we often put ourselves last on the list. And if you actually periodize in your own rest, uh, your time to educate, your time for family and all those sorts of things as much as you can in the world of coaching, I think you get to the end of the year and you've achieved a lot more than sometimes if you just do it ad hoc. Good point, Kevin. Anybody else? I was going to say, um, some of the things that I've found really beneficial uh, for uh, just getting feedback is at the end of every season or major meet, uh, I like to uh, ask support staff and a few athletes uh, one thing I've done really well and two things that they think I could improve on if I had a second go at it or a second run, and that gives me a, a real clear uh, example of, of where I should be going with the uh, or what I need to look at personally from the outside in. Uh, and then for me personally, in the reflection for myself, what I like to do is just create a pyramid, start at the very top with just me, and then you know start broad, swimming, land, and then get really detailed down below that, and just go through things, highlighting and circling what I hold important. And then that, that gives me some real uh, clear examples of the things that I hold important to the sport and either areas I need to look into or... Again, it is for development. Thanks, Matt. Anybody else? Yeah, I think um, even even more. The science of swimming is pretty. Like science is easy because you can find answers easily, and you can like designing sets or things like that. That's the easy part, but the hard work as you would all know, is just making sure you keep working on yourself. Athletes will come and go. Kids will come and go. Families will come and go. And you can't put too much emphasis on the other in the relationship. But if you keep working on yourself, I know it sounds daggy. I don't know if you know that word. Um, I know it sounds hippie-ish, but the more you work on yourself, the better coach you're going to be. So... You don't always have to do your development in a coaching realm. I go and do other things which are really uncomfortable. Like I went to acting classes and learned a new instrument just 
put yourself in really uncomfortable situations and then you're just a better person coming to the athletes each day. Awesome. Anyone else? Yeah, one last thing. Sorry, I know it was last thing last time, but studying other sports, um, you know, reading books that aren't swimming, you know, psychology, uh, power of, you know, developing habits. Um, but I think you can learn a lot uh, from other sports. Uh, one of my friends from back in the Bulls days is a, a crew coach over there, and and we've gone back and forth a few times with some great discussions on how to train athletes and development of athletes. And, um, you know, just kind of learning from a different perspective is, is, is equally important as well. Um, helps you self-reflect in what you're doing too. Thanks, John. Yeah. And to jump on kind of what John just said, and, you know, he said, you know, learning from other coaches, other sports, um, somebody who I've, Somebody who I got a chance to work with was uh, Arson Durrance, who's the head soccer, women's soccer coach down in North Carolina, um, and he's fantastic. If you, if any of you guys ever get a chance to read his book about the competitive cauldron, it's uh, I highly recommend it. Um, but also just learning how these coaches interact with their with their kids, because even though we may be coaching different sports, you know that we have a lot of commonalities. Because, you know, psycho sports psychology doesn't change if you're talking about baseball, basketball, football, or swimming. Um, how you interact with kids, just being a good person, doesn't necessarily change what you're doing or what you're coaching. Because there's all sorts of commonalities along those lines. I think, I, I think the bottom line is, how do you want to be treated? Or how do you want it to be treated when you were a swimmer? And, you know, and how, how do you want to be treated as a person? And that's how you need to treat people, you know? And that's, that's part of coaching. Coaching is, is hopefully molding people and helping, helping them out to be good and to be not just excellent in the water, you know, and, and, but be a good, peop a good person. And so I think, I think if you look at the simplicity of how do I want to be treated and how do I want to be, uh, you, know, you know, we all have coaches that were very mean to us, you know, and they treat us pretty hardly. And, but we respected them and, and, you know, we didn't agree with them, and, but they gave us a very hard time. Do we want to be treated that way? You know, probably not. So that's the way you want, you want to coach, and that's the way that probably you want to start. And that's going to reflect on the way you write sets, and it's going to reflect on the way you, you, you do everything and the way your team keeps moving. You know, success, success is very easy to accomplish. The hardest part is what I call sustainable success. And that's the trick. How do you how do you create sustainable success? And and you know, and also the problem is that many people don't realize that you know uh, success also or it's a state of mind. You know, many kids that we don't we don't even see in a day to day basis uh, in our team, they had great practices and that was very successful. They go home feeling on cloud nine and nobody has told them anything, but nobody can take away from them, that moment where they feel the goosebumps and they feel, wow, I was so powerful today. You know, so, so yeah, that's my five, five cents. I, uh, I have another question here from Del, Del Porter. He, maybe if you're there, you can, you can ask a question about team culture, establishing behaviors in age group swimming. 
to promote excellence at the junior and national level. Dale, are you there? Yeah, thank you, Sergio. Um, yes. Kind of doing two things at once, so my apologies there. Um, essentially, I guess uh, one of my challenges with today's athlete is helping them buy into that end vision. What, what does that end vision look like? Um, what does a national level athlete look like? And it's, it's been a while for us. It's been a long enough time for us that um, we have very few athletes to look up to, and they're so far away in training that it's, they just can't see it. So what are some ideas uh, knowing that, you know, my, my athletes don't always see the senior groups training, even though they're not too far away. They just, they're far enough away in a long course pool or two pools with a building separation. Um, what, what are some ideas? What are some things that I can key in on in helping establish that culture now to increase, to, to get, they need to know what a national lover swimmer looks like and they're not behaving that way now. Uh, when I was at Phoenix, a big thing that I did with the 10 and unders, um, and they were kind of a mess of a group as far as not getting in on time, attendance wasn't great. And it took three years before we really had a lot of success at 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. But what we changed was, everything was championship culture. It was, well, champions get in the water on time. And that wasn't an immediate thing. It was, okay, practice starts at six. We are starting our warm up at 6.05. Everyone is in the water at 6.05. And make it, okay, everyone knows, yeah, we're going to get in a couple minutes late. And then eventually we were able to make it, okay, at 6.02, we are starting. And then it got to six o'clock, we're in the water and we're swimming. And it started to snowball to where now they're in, now even three years down the line, they're 13 years old. They're in a top age group program. They're getting in the water on time, and that makes a, a much larger difference over three years than it does just a daily thing. It was a small thing that we did, and it's not like our training was anything special, but we started producing a higher level of athlete just because everything was, well, if you want to be a champion, you have to do this. The champions get in the water on the time. The champions know their stroke count. Champions do their kicks off the wall. Champions don't breathe off their walls. And it it just snowballed until we had a really successful training group. Thanks, Paul. Uh, Paul, I actually had a question for you, if you don't mind. Yeah. Yeah, so um, first of all, I love what you said about, you know, just championship culture, champions start on time, champions do this, that, the other thing. Um, you know, I've had a lot of the same problems kind of starting with this team. What do you do about athletes that you have a, typical, a particularly difficult time getting them to buy into the whole idea of it? At that point, like, it, it becomes a one-on-one -on -one thing. Like, you can't treat them in the group. It has to – like, for me personally, like, I pull them aside and I'll be like, hey, dude, everything okay? You have a good day at school? Um, are, you, are you thinking age group or are you thinking senior level athlete? Okay. Like, cool. what, what level athlete are you – are you referring to like a senior or a age group? Um, age group. So same as you that you just described. Yeah. So it, like, it's just, Hey dude, like, okay. Hey, did you go skateboarding today? How was that? 
and then okay. hey you know they're finishing up their 200 freestyle we're doing this next i want you to jump in and i want you to go first and like try and make try and empower them like they're special like hey this is something you can do really well right now let's go in and do it okay cool thank you i say uh dale uh, i think i think for for you in a place like balls it should you know everything goes by cycles and we all have those issues where one group leaves and you don't have as many good swimmers and things change but um but I think the tradition that you have at Bowls for so, so many years, just with the, the, the swimmers that have gone through there, the championships that they've had, the coaches that they had, I think it's a lot easier to create a, a culture that they're going to have to respect just by, by the place, you know, like uh, they're, they're training every day. You know, it's, 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 it's a very special place, and they need to learn that. They need to accept that, you know. And, and I think, you know, you, you look at the wall and you have how many uh, Olympic medalists they have gone through that place, 14, 15, you know, uh, and all that, it's slowly, you can use it to make those kids realize that, that that's what you guys do over there. You create excellence, you know, and, and, and the reason why many people join a team like yours is because of that, you know, they have other options, but they come to your team because the parents and, and the kids want excellence. They want to be part of the Olympic thought, the da-da-da-da-da, blah, 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 blah. So, so you have an opportunity always there, you know, to, to utilize all that. So I think, um, yeah, I agree with you. I guess my question is centered around every season's different for everybody. Um, and at some point there are times when uh, you get to a cultural space and you regress. You get back up there, maybe even a little bit higher, and then there's there's a, a regression. So that that fight of always always staying up here. And there are coaches that can do that. So trying to glean a little bit of that in order to. But my current challenge, my athletes that are up here, if we're talking about behaviors and habits, making championships, and that's what I'm hearing so far, and I believe in that. Um, along with the training, my athletes that are swimming up here have horrible behaviors and habits. Whereas this athlete right here, they're the ones buying in and they're slowly closing that gap. So I, I know I've got good things going on and I need to somehow get to these athletes that are competing at the highest level, but they're, they can turn it on. And when it's time to race, they can turn it on. They have that ability. And why should I have these habits and behaviors that you're talking about? Because it's harder. It's more work. It's, it's when, when I, can, I can still go be top eight. I can still go win. I can, you know, whatever their belief system is, that's, that's the athlete I'm struggling with right now. Maybe personally as a coach, how to, how to engage that person without losing them. I, 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 when I was at Bowls and I had this issue too, with my, my group was a little bit higher, uh, older kids than you, but we had the same issue. I would try to pay attention to the other kids, you know, always give attention to the kids that do the right things. And many times I had to, the parents would come into my office and say, well, Sergio, you know, why are you talking so much with her? She's so slow, but you don't give attention to my, my son. 
And then I'll tell the parents, I said, well, your son is, is very fast, but he doesn't want to do anything. It doesn't matter what I want to do with him. Doesn't want to do it. Doesn't want to work. Doesn't want to do this. And, and at one point, I cannot keep wasting my time with him. You know? mm-hmm. and, and I think when the kids and the parents see that you're giving more attention, not more attention, the attention that they deserve, the not-so-fast kids, but the ones that do a better, a better work and practice, the other ones, are gonna, they're going to try to find you somewhere. They're going to try to buy into who you are and what you do. I don't know if that makes sense, but you know, that's... makes uh, perfect that's, sense, and, and I see that, so I'm, I'm not... Um, I, I know we're catching some, but the coach in me wants to catch all. Um, I'm, I'm going to be driven for that. Uh, Oops. I, I, I'm going to tell you, the reality is that we cannot catch all. So sorry. I, I, I had muted myself. My apologies. Uh, yes, I, I believe in that. Um, I believe I'm catching some. The, the person in me wants to catch all. and I'll be driven for that. I'll never give up. I'll never quit. Um, but it's, it's that, you know, it goes into my next talk about curriculum and whatnot. I, I've, I've been around very talented men and women, ex- incredibly talented men and women. And I've been blessed with that. But in my 30 plus years on the pool deck, I've never had anyone hand me do this. It's always been here. Take it and go. Um, so you see where they're coming from. You see where they need to go. And you, you, you coach them in that direction. And so my, my next topic, if I can segue, is essentially uh, if anyone has curriculum so that I can kind of understand what I that's – our, that's our next step within our team is to, you know, in level one – this is the freestyle components we really want you pushing. In level two, we want, this is the most important thing. And it doesn't always have to be about speed. It doesn't always have to be about time. Levels one and two might all be about technique um, with no standards, per se, per team. The kids are going to go in and race. We know that. Um, but this is what's important. So that's what's next for me. And if anyone's got uh, anything I sh- could, could see or – um, yeah, find me at Bulls. I'm on the coaches' page at Bull Swimming, and and uh, help me out in that respect because that that's that's our next challenge. That's what we're talking about now. And, Dale, uh, earlier, were you talking about like high school age kids, or are we talking about like 13 to 15 year olds? Or thank thank you. I I have 11 to 14 year olds, so I have middle school. So I have grades six, seven, and eight. We're a school team, so we're we're functioning on grades and. It's not an ideal developmental level to have 11-year-olds with 14-year-olds. We get it. We understand it. Um, we're, we're planning for the future and somehow keeping middle school together, but also not necessarily putting our middle schoolers with our you know, upper levels of high school. How can we blend upper middle school with lower high school type things? Uh, yeah. we're, challenged, we're challenged on end of school days. Right. We've traveled on bus systems, those those types of things, issues we're we're trying to compete with. But uh, yeah, my me personally, eleven to fourteen year olds in my daily training. 
Okay. I, I mean, my, it's like Sergio said, the only thing that you have is your attention. Your attention is to me was gold. To me is gold. It's like, and it goes back to what Sergio was saying. He came back to a reminder when I coached club a long time ago, there was a kid that was really neglected. I mean, the kid was sick all the time. He had allergies. He had everything. So literally I would have him do the entire practice on a VASA trainer and it was awful. But he could breathe as much as he wanted to. And that kid went from being one of the bottom end kids to making juniors in nearly every event but two and seniors in six events and Olympic trials. And he ended up going uh, to a Big Ten school on scholarship. And to this day, like, we, we still have a great relationship. But that kid was so overlooked and would never have had the success. And I think it goes back to, you know, and it's hard with 11 to 14-year-olds because – I don't think you ever want to give up on them, but at some point you're like, as a teacher, and I think this is, this gets back into who we really are as coaches, especially with 11 to 14 years, you're teaching them and you can walk into any classroom. So are you going to teach to the middle? Like every other classroom probably does, or are you going to teach to the better kids? Are you going to encourage them? Are you going to try to um, challenge them in ways? And I, and I don't ever think it's too early to do goal setting, even with 11 to 14 year olds. And I think it's always nice. Like, and I did this when I coached at Wyoming. It's like, we would sit down and spend a significant amount of time with each athlete, every athlete in my group and, um, and talk about what they wanted at the end of the years and what changes they needed to make um, academically, athletically, and socially to let those changes occur and then we would go back and look at, we would even sit down at Christmas during Christmas training and just have a quick chat. Maybe it was 45 minutes and see how they're progressing towards their goals. And I always think some of the things you're dealing with is a lack of reason of why they're there, you know, and, and some 11 year olds, they're there because mom and dad wants them there and maybe they're don't even want to be there. And then, but by, I would think by the time they're 14, they, they have a pretty good idea of who they are and, Grand, we're dealing with a ninth grader, but what they want out of their sport and where they want to improve. I'll go back to the other thing when you talked about development and, and as a coach, and even at Wyoming, I, I'm, I'm paying these guys and gals to coach. And if I want them to do it my way, and I know there's coaches in this country that do this and say, here's the workout for the sprinters today, do this. Here's the workout for middle distance fly breast and I am do this, but I, I wanted my coaches to grow. And I would say, this is what I would like to see out of your group. Here's where our group is right now. And together we would discuss. Now, at the end of the week, you know, I would look at their workouts or even on a day-to-day -day basis, I would stop in on their practices and watch what they were doing. You know, if I thought something was like, why are you doing that? We would have conversations like that. Our strength coach and I would get together and we would have conversations about how everyone's developing, but I, I would hate to be in a situation where, and I don't, I don't think I've ever coached in this situation where a coach said, here's the workout, do it. Or I, I th um, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I think in your thinking of standards that you want to see in each progression level, but I, I, I'm assuming that's what you're talking about. Yeah, definitely talking about standards, but even, even breaking down freestyle level one, what, what's the most important concepts we're trying to get out of level one, which is eight, eight, nine-year-olds, nine, 10-year-olds, nine, level two, 
level three, level mine, I call myself level four type thing. So, uh, so that we see a progression within our program. We, we want to see a beginning. We want to see an end. We don't right. want level don't three teaching. Be, don't you think that should be like, like, as, like when I was in Birmingham, every Wednesday we got together as a staff, everybody, every single coach. And it just happened to work out well on that day. But we talked about those very things about what we wanted to see in every specific group as a group because all of us were dependent. And the nice thing that I think we had in that situation is we had co-coaches. So the coach of the, the, the youngest kids was the assistant with the next group up and so on up the line, which I thought, you know, they were getting one message from all of us. And I, I thought that was tremendously, and, and we talked about these very things. Um, I'd just like to add, Dale, back to your original question on kind of continuing those athletes um, moving forward. Um, when I had goal meetings this last year, I talked with every athlete about looking two steps ahead. Um, I have a girl, a uh, pretty good IMer. I mean, she's a 432, 400 IMer, but no one ever talked to her about junior nationals. Not one coach before I got here ever talked to her about that. And, you know, as soon as I, we started talking about that, you know, look, two steps down the road, it was like a whole different person in practice because now all of a sudden someone was believing in her. Somebody really stuck a carrot out in front of her, um, you know, to, to achieve. Uh, most kids can get to that next step, but, you know, having them continually look forward and what's, what's the next step after the, the, the next step. And I think um, Sergio can kind of relate to that with uh, Barrowman back in, I think it was 88, you know, his goal was to make the Olympic team. Um, but what was he going to do at the Olympics? Um, and so in 92, it was a very different way he approached the Olympics. So trying to keep that, keep them looking forward, you know, two steps beyond. Um, I think Dale. Uh, I know how your brain works, and I don't want to say anything wrong. You have to simplify things. You have to be a little bit more simple. You know, sometimes, you know, uh, you already have the answers of level one, level two, level three, level four. It's, you know, and make them simple. And, you know, just make a decision and just make them. Because that's going to be your, thought, your thoughts, you know, and it's going to be easier to translate to the assistant coaches. You know, they work for you. And then everybody needs to follow that, you know. And it won't take you. If you sit down with the coaches, you remember when we used, we used to sit down all together at balls and chat for hours. You know, if you sit down with your assistant coaches, you can come up to the best way that you, can, you guys can have all those levels that you, you're asking for, you know. And make it simple. Life has to be simple. We as human beings, we make things complicated, you know. And we think about this and about that and blah, 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 blah. And kids are kids. And uh, the, 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 sad, the, sad, the sad news that I'm going to give you, you cannot save everybody. You can't. Uh, and, and, that's, uh, and I'm not trying to tell you not to think that way because I'm not going to be able to change you. But you cannot save everybody. We all try that. And you see all this white hair? You because you shave, but I don't shave. All these are the people that I haven't been able to save. Uh, so just yes I don't know and that's why I shave that's why you do shave uh, 
Sergio, real quick, just to jump into what you said and then what Dale said. Um, I, I think if you're if you're looking at designing a curriculum, it's really important to think about scalability. So you should be able to regress things down to the most basic level possible. What is the what is the simplest, most underlying skill that I need to see executed? And then how do I layer on top of that? Um, and so building a curriculum or progression, that's, that's really where you've got to take the end goal and then strip everything away to what are the real basics of that goal. And that's where your kind of foundation level is. And then you layer things on top of that. I have two suggestions, Dale, things that I like to do. Um, the first one is curriculum. Uh, I'm not sure how many people here are school teachers as well. I, I was a school teacher for 15 years before changing into coaching full time. And schools have already done this when it comes to development. So if you can access or research um, either a high school, local high school curriculum, they usually have all of those developmental stages set out already and you can use those as your outcomes or indicators for where you want them socially. And secondly, with the stages, with your actual swim strokes, something I did, I also got stuck in this, I had the same problem. So what I did is I looked back through all of my race videos and then picked maybe two or three races from each of those age groups where I thought the swimmer was doing the best job according to my criteria. So if you have, if I'm not sure what age group, was it 11 to 14? That's... So that, um, what, that's my direct what, level. So I understand that. I understand what I need yeah. to do to get them for the senior level, but I'm also responsible for levels one, two, and three flowing. That's that's what's next for me. Is is I understand what my level is doing. I I know what each level is doing, but now I need to put it in writing for that day that someone new comes in. We'll have we'll restructure here and we'll have people in different roles. So being able to have a framework, this is your framework, right? Your practice with the end goal in mind, we know where we want to get them. And then, then that will help us transition from one level to the next. So what, what I would do if I was in that situation, I would go and a, get someone to cover you for session for the day and then look at what's in the water in front of you and then pick out someone that you think is, like everyone has their model stroke in their mind and it's hard to get people to share their model stroke. I remember asking maybe 40, 50 coaches what their model stroke was and they couldn't clarify or didn't care to share usually. Um, but looking, looking in the water and saying, well, that kid there, he's the one that represents the stroke that I like the best and writing down all the things that he's doing that you like and what, what you want to see more of and then look, look at another kid and say, well, he's almost there. Okay, what's he doing? And kind of make observations from what you can see in front to something you could try. Thank you. I think... I think something that uh, goes along with this is 
understanding, and I know you understand this, but the, uh, the timeline is sometimes a three or four or five year timeline as opposed to a seasonal timeline of where do I need these kids to have their strokes by the end of the year. I mean, the nine, 10 year olds, they need to be floating well. They need to be breathing well. They need to have good body balance, but they don't necessarily have to be having a great catch or great, you know, with their hand patterns. And are all those things important? Absolutely. But what is important to have mastered, you know, within a year across all four strokes at the youngest ages, I would be uh, locking down what are the most, you know, things like body position and, um, you know, you check those boxes, breathing, um, coming off the walls correctly, you know, just those details and then saying, all right, you've advanced past this level. Now you're turning 11, 12, or you're turning 13, 14. You're handing the next group up something uh, that is foundationally very strong, or you've been handed something foundationally strong, and then you can sort of refine and then also add the next piece because if I'm, if I'm looking at, um, you know, the way we did things when I was in at swim Mac, it wasn't necessarily, we're going to win 10 and under championships or 11, 12 championships. You know, half the kids that ever made junior nationals, the summer junior teams, they, they were in unknown groups at the ages of 11, 12. And so we just didn't panic on it. We didn't stress about it. It was foundations, foundations, foundations. And then when you get to that next level, it was, uh, all right, well, we can refine, we can refine. And so what I've done with coaches in the past is I've given a curriculum of my expectations to leave that group, and it's been foundational work. But one of the things that we've also done is brought in the next level coach, the coach from the group above, and they get to go coach for a day or two. And then after two days of coaching, watching that young group, they may be able to come back and say, all right, hey, I've noticed your swimmer's are not doing X, Y, and Z skill quite like we need in the next group. And they're going to have the eye of what they're looking for. And they just do that on, on like a Wednesday and Thursday of one week. Everyone takes a step down to a, a lower group and coaches that next group down. That way they come back and have a meeting with the coaches and say, this was my observation and this is what needs to be refined uh, in order to um, be moving up into my group next. Thanks, David. Thank you.